Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome to season four of Talking with Traders with me, Garth McKenzie. It's been a lengthy hiatus since we completed season three of this series, so it's good to be back. Thank you to IG Markets for once again coming on board to fund and sponsor this podcast. Their involvement is hugely valuable, and we're proud to have such an award-winning CFD provider alongside us. In this season, I'll welcome back some of our most popular guests from previous seasons to get their updated views on the markets, and I'll also bring in some new guests too. I'll be asking them pertinent questions about how they trade the market and where they're seeing opportunities in the global trading and investing arena. The idea is that you, the listener, gain some valuable insight and education from these market professionals that may be of use in your own trading and investing. So with that in mind, let's get straight into this week's episode of Talking with Traders. Welcome back to another episode of Talking with Traders. And this week, I'm delighted to welcome to the to the podcast, Mark Randall. Now, some of you may know Mark Randall as the co-host of the Alpha Mind podcast, which is a podcast that I've appeared on and I've often suggested to many of our listeners that they listen to. Um, Mark's sidekick, Stephen Goldstein, has been on this podcast twice in the past. So it's a great pleasure to, Mar- to welcome Mark. Uh, Welcome. It's good to have you with us, Mark. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, yeah, I, I love the work you do. And of course, we, we love the conversations that we've had uh, in the Alpha Mind world. And um, yeah, let's let's see where we can take this today. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to the conversation. So as I, as I always do, Mark, at the beginning of a podcast with a new guest, um, I'd like to just get a little brief, bit of a brief background to, to yourself. So I mean, I know you were an ex-trader, now you're a trader performance coach and an executive coach, but can you give us a little bit more color on the path that your career has, has followed? Sure. Well, I guess back in 1979, I was kind of working out what I was going to do for a job. And my, my dad applied for a job for me in that West, which suddenly got me into a bank. But the first thing I said was when I got, when I got into HR was that I don't want to work in a branch. <laughs> I want to do something a, a, bit, a bit more out there, really. And um, actually, I got put into the Treasury Department where there was me, the, the, the global treasurer, the UK treasurer, a research clerk and a secretary. And little old me running around doing all sorts of stuff. But, you know, you kind of got to know the right people. It's quite rare that you meet the treasurer of what was pretty much the largest bank in the world at the time. Uh, and you kind of became, you know, the bloke that found them their cigars or got the coffee or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. they then said, well, spend some time here, but then then get into HR. Because if you get into HR, you kind of start to get in touch with the people that are going to really pave the way for your direction which I did, um, which was, I guess, the pain in the ass. But, you know, sometimes you know, s- strategy depends upon going through some degree of pain. Mm. And, um, of course, HR knew exactly where the bank was going. And they said, look, this thing called Futures is turning up. We have not got a clue what it is. Um, but it's uh, we-, we got you into the World Money Centre, which was the foreign exchange uh, trading area. And you really liked that um, as sort of an experience thing. Um, and we thought that was a great direction for you. But this has come up now. So, you know, how about coming into this thing called Futures? Of course, didn't have a clue. 
Yeah. Well, you couldn't go to a library and get a book on futures, give you a clue in around <laughs> about 1981, whatever it was. Yeah. And they, they said they got me books, which were books that were created by the CME CBOT. Um, and I just thought, Jesus Christ, it's just maths. You know, mm. it's, it's, I mean, I was not a mathematician by any stretch of imagination. Um, but, you know, I, we suddenly got to know this environment called futures um, on this thing called an exchange because I walked past the Royal Exchange every morning going to. Uh, work, as it were, watching this thing called the London International Financial Institution get built in what was a building which was an old sort of cobbled forum where they used to sell Christmas cards. Mm-hmm. We still didn't kind of work out what it was. And we we got into the training mode. And I remember this fa- fabulous occasion, we got called into this sort of big office down in Cheapside. And we all got these these badges stuck on with mnemonics and they said right we're going to do some sort of pretend trading and we still didn't have a clue what was going to go on so we thought we're going to sit around and like type things into machines and some guys from the uh, sugar market turned up in their colorful jackets and a bell went and this God almighty noise came out of 500, 2006, and all this stuff kicked off. And about 50 of us looked at each other and thought, we've got to do this all day long. (laughs) (laughs) This is what we've signed up for. (laughs) You know, it's something you started to see the organisation within the chaos of it. Um, And then when the floor went live, you know, we suddenly, I I was there day, day one. And... You started to then work out that you couldn't just be anybody on the floor. You kind of had to be somebody. You kind of had to have a view. Because mm. um, I had more of an artistic bent than a mathematical bent. Some guys were over from Chicago and doing like live manual point and figure charts of pretty much everything on the floor. And I thought, this is interesting. They're, they're sort of predicting movement from this artistic form. Of, and, I, and I started to get really involved in it. Um, I was certainly one of the one of the very earliest chartists, as they called us back in the day, mm-hmm. that was actually getting a reputation for, you know, telling telling the market where it was going to go next. Yeah, with, with pretty accurate predictability, and that then got me noticed. And said, okay, you're going to leave the floor. We're going to get you back on the desk because we've got a bunch of super high grade managers there, but we actually need someone that can actually give a view and can give a substance for market direction. And that got me off of floor onto desk as essentially a broker. And as you know, I think from your own background, people yeah. say, well, there's brokers and there's traders. We're actually, um, I think I mentioned in the last podcast, some of the smartest traders I've seen have been ex-brokers. Some of the worst traders I've seen, worst brokers I've seen have been ex-traders. Yeah. It kind of yeah. works one way as a dynamic, but not the other. Because mm. you kind of become a trader for all your clients. You're watching out for things. And because I had the capability of looking at anything and having a view, I started to be quite valuable in that sense. And we had NWBF, GNH as as Reuters pages. And, you know, I'm proud to say I'm sure some market volatility (laughs) was because Randall said that if it breaks this point, it's going to go here. Um, (laughs) And for for decades, you know, I I was broke around the desk um, for Greenwich and out west which was where we suddenly grew up when we had a Wall Street firm that was you know, was acquired by NatWest, but essentially they ran the investment bank at that point. Yeah. And then, then we kind of knew what investment banking was and what sharp meant and what value added meant and what strategy meant. 
Um, and that sort of, you know, my career carried on um, until retirement in futures. Okay. Uh, and, then, and then I opened up a consultancy that was initially focused around uh, mindfulness and men- mental capabilities, because that, that is a strand I had for many decades as a, a secret weapon, but I, I kind of weaponized it within the corporate space and it just went bananas because actually I was um, giving people the skill to manage themselves and optimize themselves in you know volatile, unpredictable and complex environments. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and that became a consultancy. And you know where the penny suddenly drops after two years running consultancy? Why don't I just combine the fact that I've been in markets for 40 years and I've been practicing mindfulness for 40 years and stick it together and actually... Yeah, that's where I went out to lunch with Goldstein um, and positioned this idea that I was this fourth pillar, as it were, of, the, of real deep ability to manage self with, with obviously the context of me in markets, you know, sort of mm. driving driving all of that. And I said, and I reached out to Steve, said, Let's, we need to have a lunch. We need to just talk this through these things. So we booked an hour and like five hours later, we're still talking about it. Um, and that's where the beginning of the Alpha Mind project um uh, came about where you know, the, the 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 value of what is 70 odd years of market experience between us where you know we talk about cycles and god we've been at various parts of that cycle we we're at the Kondratiev cycles you know with the length of experience we have um and really applying that but with you know mindset mindset optimization process optimization you know all that sort of rich stuff yes that sits in the background of trading and knowing the whole structure so knowing that you know the trader isn't just a trader there's the whole there's ops there's risk there's compliance there's regs there's all sorts of things we kind of know that space as well you know as up to date as we can be without actually being in the market mm. <laughs> which ma- makes us really compelling when we go into a, a massive global corporate and pitch ourselves because like, because we get it, and they get it. We've got the right conversation, the right tempo, the right tone, um, yeah. the, the right breadth. And it's the little things that matter in those conversations, you know, and I think that's where our skill set sits. Is that we know the little stuff. Yeah. We know the micro stuff and the stuff that when you throw it into conversations, people think, oh, yeah, use market. And I remember even when I was in the corporate bank, I went out to this massive fund in uh, – in Switzerland, um, beginning with P, and I was with a corporate relationship manager at the time, and the, the the head of the fund, like kind of like the owner, was there with his arms crossed in this meeting, as stiff as you like, and he wasn't, you know, letting in on anything yeah. as this corporate banker was was talking about things, and the corporate banker then started to talk about, you know, RBS and what, what was the what was the share price that the government had, and he was fumbling around between. 70 something or 80 something, and I guess turned to him and I guess it isn't 80 handle, yeah. okay? It's 80 handle. And <laughs> as soon as I said that, the, the guy from P yeah. <laughs> looked at me and thought, okay, this guy's market aware, okay? This because he's mentioned 80 handle, and that's kind of like a market term, right? Yes, yes, um, absolutely. Um, and suddenly drops his, his guard and he's opened up to a conversation. So that's what this stuff does. When you're in, when you're really in the market, it opens up different doors to conversation, and I think that you know that's the power behind the Alpha Mind project. In this very long introduction, yeah, but, um, <laughs> it's meant to be two minutes. If I look at the 
the, the thing that God sent me. Do a two-minute intro. It's okay. So I'm, I'm on about 12 minutes bit at the moment or something. <laughs> well, it's it's all good and it's all great to, to it's listen to. It's a proper to. story, right? It's it a proper a- story. And that is the power behind it, the Alpha Mind project. Yeah. And well, I, mean, I love what you and Steve are doing with the Alpha Mind project. And, um, you know, I've been a, I don't know what, what do I call myself, a delegate or a, a student. Or I don't know what, what I would call myself on Stephen Goldstein's um, trader performance uh, coaching program. For right, the last right, right. for the last year and a half, and I, mean, I must say, when I discovered Stephen, and you're the same, I, I guess you know, I always thought what a fantastic find because all through my trading career, I'd always thought you know I'd love to meet somebody who actually almost like a psychologist who gets mm. trading, and yeah. I've never found such a person until I found the two of you, and I thought what what a brilliant marriage because you do you 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 know you guys dig into all of the. The, the meaty stuff behind it and all the psychology around it. And that's yeah, really what well, trading is. I mean, psychology well, is mostly what trading is about, right? Absolutely. And, I, and, it, and it's a, we'll go into the soft stuff, you know, so we'll venture into the soft and fluffy if we think it's meaningful mm. because actually trading is not just about the sharp end of trading, you know, the human side, the, the difficult side. And I know that from running these podcasts, our biggest audience comes from when we talk about pain. Mm. Well, yeah. it's so relatable because I think everyone who trades has gone through pain at some point and or will go through pain, uh, no matter your level of experience. And it's how you deal with that, isn't it? Yeah, no, it indeed. And, and recognizing your suffering from it too, and rather than like, you know, parking it and getting on with it, but building up more pain because you've not kind of really, really managed yourself appropriately. Mm. Uh, I, I think, I think that, you know, you can be in pain, but you can be oblivious to the, the, the way that pain is damaging you. And you realize that you've been in pain too late when actually you start to get some significant breakdown in your you know, sort of cognitive capability, your trading capability and you know, anything else going on in your life at the time. Yeah. So in your experience, and you've obviously been a trader, you've dealt with many, many traders through your work. You've interviewed many traders on your podcast, of course. But in your experience, what do you find uh, that most differentiates the better traders from, from the rest? Um, well, if I think about the best traders I've ever known, you kind of wouldn't know they were traders. Mm. And the worst traders I've ever known, you, they tell you they're traders, you know? So it's <laughs> the people that are sort of quiet and unassuming um, and that have, I've got, you know, no sort of ego that's boasting about, oh, I'm long of this and I'm short of that and I made this and I made that. They're the people that just keep themselves to themselves, yeah? Mm. But they are, this sense, this sense of being calm and balanced um, and really, really focused on, on learning and discovering appropriately and em- embracing, you know, the, the whole genre of trading, Um but by wanting to understand more, wanting to learn more, wanting to improve, um, but doing it in, in kind of like their own way. Um, you know, people that just seem normal um, and balanced, and you, you'd kind of never really say that they were a tra- If you met them, you'd never say, oh, you're a trader. But I think the worst traders I've ever met are people where, you can say, where, where they've already told you that they're a trader. You know, yeah. they're, they're almost like the worst traders, where they're, oh, I'm long of this, I'm short of that, I made a... I made a gazillion, a gazillion on this, and I bought this, and I bought this, and I've, 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 
Well, as soon as you start hearing that, you kind of know that you know, they're, they're probably pretty crap at trading. Yeah. Yeah. So then that goes complete, completely against the the marketing, right? I mean, we spoke okay. about it on the podcast with you, but the typical marketing that you see with these trading firms is the Lamborghini and the girl and the yacht and the helicopter, and this is the life of a trader, and it's all glamorous. It's, it's nothing like that in reality, though. No, not at all. I mean, I I do I have known people that, you know, forget about Lamborghinis. They bought islands because mm. they've been so successful, but <laughs> they've tended to be managing other people's money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Some degree of cushion uh, in terms of doing that, but the sort of the naked trader. Um, yeah, the, the the adverts give this impression of of, of the glamour, but even the people that I've I've known um, that, that have made an awful lot of money out of it in terms of that success we talk about. Mm. I mean, much, much like, you know, Warren Buffett, you know, he lived, lived in the same house he's lived in for, for, for donkey's years, drives around in a, a, a Prius or whatever, and <laughs> always admits, you know, he drinks the same Coca-Cola we do, eats the same KFC we do, yeah. goes, sits on the same toilet as we do, goes to the same bed as we do. Perhaps the only thing he does differently is he flies a bit of first class every now and then. Yeah. Um, in fact, I've and the people that I've known that have been very successful, you kind of wouldn't, you, you know, they don't embellish themselves in in trophies and things. They just get on with that. And I think that actually that also comes true for a lot of performers that are out there, you know, sports performers, you know, the really, really good ones. Mm. You know, they kind of, I mean, Federer, for example, I guess really balanced. It's a nice fella. Okay, he's got some lovely designs and he's worked on his brand. That, that, that's super cool. Mm. But you, you don't, you know, you don't see him sort of doing the extravagant. You know, he's the family man. He's got the kids. The kids turn up to watch him play. Yeah. That, that, that's his focus. That's his purpose. And the game is just the game and he's got it right, obviously, with, with the right approach. But, you know, and I think with, with all these people and as, as much like, trading the people that were successful in trading that i knew didn't sort of register whether they'd actually won or lost in terms mm-hmm. of trading they they just took it as i've gone through this process here's this outcome how can i improve on that outcome type approach yeah so just listening to the market market giving feedback and reacting accordingly yeah exactly mm-hmm. so <clears throat> i mean what what are um Talking of traits of success in in trading, I mean, do you think this is something that people are born with, or or can trading success be learned by anybody? I mean, of course, there's a well known experiment of the turtle traders. Mm. Um, what was his name, Richard Dennis? Yeah, who who trained up a bunch of people from different walks of life, and the the bet was that he could teach anybody to become a trader. And yeah. and and yeah, what is your thought on that? You know, is 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 it something that's you know, you're inherently born with the right stuff to become a trader, or do you think it's just anybody can can take it on? And if they follow the right steps and they learn and get to know themselves well enough that they can be successful? Well, I think life experience is kind of important. You know, um, some people are, are lucky on their trajectory. They built the right skills. They may have had failure early on in, in their life for whatever reason, even trauma. Uh, and, have, and have learned to, to deal with that and go through that. Um, and maybe it's the, the mindset, you know, if, if people are approaching life with a growth mindset, 
there's more chance they're going to pick up things, learn them and, and apply them. Um, and self-belief. And of course, if you have a fixed mindset, there might be a parental steer in that, being told what to do by my parents rather than finding your own pathway, you know, can, can create stress, can create um, a fixed mindset that kind of is told what to do rather than is free to learn. And I think that that is something that can, can be sort of set fairly early on. But I think the mindset can be changed. Interesting enough to talk the mindfulness work and mind fitness work I do actually does change mindset because actually if you look at it um the mind that's sort of stressed frustrated will we'll tend to fall into the fixed mindset camp of seeing everything as a challenge and not wanting to learn and not wanting to walk towards the complex um which of course is something that if you get involved in trading all those things need to be happening um so Actually, if you, if you can transform mindset, and, that, and, that's, and, I've, and I've actually witnessed that, and I've witnessed that in a relatively short amount of time, where through training and, and awareness of certainly the work that I do as some of my core philosophy, I've shifted people's mindset from being quite negative, frankly, mm-hmm. uh, and, and disbelieving of ability, to actually being slightly positive, but with a growth mindset that's calmer, that wants to learn, that's happy to walk towards um, the, the complex and, and, and actually own things that are slightly uncomfortable and be comfortable with, with that um, and have this ability of, of, of constant learning and learning how that if suddenly an event happens that becomes a trauma, they have through some of the tools I teach, the, the capability of, resetting refreshing and recalibrating themselves uh, in really really short time frame so their, their bounce back is is rapid after a, a market shock or a position shock so those things come from growth mindset and those things can be taught you know so finding the right person of course is a bit of an advert for us really but you know if you want, to, if you want that experience come to us because actually you can switch that mindset um if it's something that's getting in your way. And actually, when I started to do this in the um, earlier stages, I, I did face, it was really a, I, I thought I start off with the difficult. I'm going I'm to have my, I'm going to have the trading teams that I face in the business. There's some of my early clients um, that were facing some of this sort of, you know, mind fitness stuff I was doing. I thought I might as well start with the difficult, you know, because mm-hmm. these are people that were difficult. This might seem slightly fluffy to them. But actually, when they started to do it, they realized it was a superpower. And actually, yeah. they, 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 uh, they understood the advantage. And it was a tactical advantage. Yeah, they suddenly thought, oh, this is a skill. I mean, I, I can look good against my peers. But of course, they told their peers, and more and more peers wanted to turn up to pick up the skill that was, was, was there. So, um, you know, I think that I realized early on that, you know, it was possible to get people to turn up and to shift their mind into a, a much more optimal state. And, you know, stress was decreasing. They were sleeping better. They were waking better. They're being more attentive to market. And of course, as you know, I think you're an early bird as well, right? You, yeah. you know, this, this concept of, of inquiry pre-trading becomes really, really important. But if you're absolutely knackered because you're not slept very well, you know, and you still got the baggage of yesterday's, um, so-called disasters plan on your mind, the chances of you discovering opportunity today is minimal. Mm-hmm. 
Well, talking about that, that optimal state of mind and getting the right sleep and all of those background things that you, that you kind of alluded to there, uh, you know, I watched a really interesting advert. It was, it was from 2016. So what's it, five or six years old now? It was an advert for Under Armour and it was some, a YouTube video that somebody sent to me. Um, it was about Michael Phelps. And basically the tagline of this video was, it's what you do in the dark that makes you succeed in the light. And I thought that was so powerful, you know, and it, it alludes to all of the background stuff that makes you successful. It's the time in the gym. It's the psychological coaching. It's eating the right stuff. It's getting the right amount of sleep. It's being well hydrated. It's all of these other things which happen effectively in the dark. In other words, you don't see them, but yet you see this successful person that shines in the light. No, in, indeed, I think you know, performance is about edge, right? And where do you get edge from? I think even the thing is a sky cycling team. Yeah. All the cyclists used to take their, their own pillows with them for whatever hotel they were sleeping in. Because, again, it was, if there's one thing that goes badly wrong on a business trip abroad. It's when you end up somewhere and the pillow is just not right and you just get rubbish sleep. So you know, people are looking at things like that. And I think even traders should ask that question, you know, you know, what is my sleep like? You know, do, how can I can I monitor it? You know, what what's going wrong? Do, is there a chill in the room? Do I have enough bedding? Because you know, a, phys, a physiological level. I mean, even before all the, the the mind fitness stuff and the mindset stuff, you know, and, and Phelps is absolutely right, as you would be. Mm. Um, you know, it's are you getting enough oxygen into your system? You know, are you hydrated? And keeping yourself hydrated. And I guess the best traders out there monitor all of this stuff very carefully, yeah. you know, because they're effectively trading is like a, a performance yeah. sport, but it's well, a mental performance sport. Well, what they're doing, and here's a Randall tagline: "This is, I've become famous because of this." <laughs> they're trading themselves. Yeah. Right. So what they're doing is they're seeing themselves as a trade opportunity. I'm like, how can I make this trade? the trade of me, the trade of self-management, because I need to get that right if I'm going to really trade into the market you know, with the best chance and the best opportunity. You, you have to start with that. So what is the trade of me? What can I do? You know, nourishment, you know, eating. Even social connectivity is really, really important in that mix because we're social, social animals. Mm. But trading, trading can make us really, really siloed. Um, and, and really kind of depressive things sort of get a, get a bit out of hand where we, do, we don't have anyone to sort of joke with, like in the old days of dealing rooms, right? We yeah. have a joke, a bit of a laugh. And, of course, I guess even if you're a dealing room nowadays, the chances of being able to do that have sort of gone out the window with all the, the fact that behaviour has been um, made much more appropriate than some of the antics that went on in the past. But in a way, you could kind of see why it happened to some extent. Um because there needed to be a bit of a, a release valve. Um, mm. And I think there's a lot of traders out there in trading land that might be so siloed that this lack of social interconnectivity that is really, really important mm. you know, leads them to you know, building up this pressure in their system that's not released. Uh, and that becomes a negative. So you know, if you start to look at it, don't hydrate yourself, so negative. Sleeping badly, a negative. Not getting yourself oxygen fresh air regularly, a negative, not eating well, negative, 
not socializing, negative. All of those things are, are you fighting you. So they're like weapons that are coming at you to attack you because you're not doing anything about it. And you expect to go into a complex, high-performance thing called markets and be successful by not paying attention to those things? No, not going to happen. Not going to happen. And I guess it's the same as any sport. You know, If you don't take all of those things into account and do them properly, Absolutely. you're not going to perform at a, at, a, at a superior level. Absolutely. You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes. On the podcasts that I did with you and Stephen, you asked a great question. Uh, You said, what does success mean to you? And I want to put that question back at you. What does success mean? And I'm I'm talking really trading success, but I guess, I mean, it, it, this could uh, you know spill over to other things, I suppose. But what does success mean to you, Mark, in a in a in a trading and in a life in a, in a life context? Well, well, I think that <clears throat> the, the the biggest thing you can have as a personal success is to understand your purpose. Okay, mm. and purpose has got nothing to do with money. And yeah. so yeah. if if trading isn't a part of that equation, then, you know, to enjoy trading, okay? If, you, if you're trading and making money and you don't enjoy it, is that successful? Yeah. Yeah, so the art of enjoying what you do, you know, turning up and just enjoying the vibe of what you do is really, really, really important. If you're trading and you don't like it, you you may want to take a step back and think, am I doing the right thing here? Should it just be a side hustle rather than something that, that I think is going to be a major transformer of my um, my capability? Because you may get so sucked into trading, you're missing all these other opportunities that are passing by in front of your eyes. And yet, if you're failing at trading or finding it difficult, then your stress rate, your fixed mindset will make you blind to any other opportunity. So I think that for me, it's the bigger picture of just knowing your purpose, you know, what you're here for, what you want to achieve. Yeah. And that includes humanity. That includes family. I know it sounds, you know, oh my God, he's going off on a bit of a bit of a ramp, but it is, it is about that. You know, life is not about, you know, 10 hours a day in front of a screen. Mm. Um, when, when you get to 85 years of age, someone, you know, says, well, what have you been doing for the last, uh, you know, 60 years, and you say, well, I've been sitting in front of this screen trying to make some money. <laughs> um, and you'll get looked at with, you know, well, okay, there's something bigger that perhaps you should be looking at called, yeah, called life, called family, called friends, this social this social thing about, about hobbies, about be it mountaineering, be it hill walking, be it, be it a sport you want to get involved in, or just even the, the most basic hobby. You kind of need to have that balance. So I think success, a successful trader is a trader that has balance, in, in my view. And I the, guess it's the, the trading that uh, trading is an endeavor that if you do it right, it allows you to live your best life and do those yeah, other things. Well, the, theoretically, but of course, there's a point where you've, you've earned, if you're really successful, where you've earned so much money that actually 
you know, if you'd have stopped three years ago, you'd still live your best life because you've got enough for what you think is your best life. Um, and I think that sometimes there's this habit that can affect traders where um, enough is not enough. Mm. And, you know, and it's when you get the enough is not enough sort of psychology turn up, you might start to be losing what you thought was enough in the first place. And you end up with not enough. I immediately think of I immediately think of Jesse Livermore when you say that. But it's it's knowing when to stop, knowing when enough is enough for what actually you want to achieve. And if and, and so part of this is also understanding that there's a value for time. Okay, yeah, we're on this earth for a limited amount of time. But if you can free up time, freeing up time for you to use for for enjoying yourself with all these multiple, you know, things you like to do. Um, you know, t t time is really, really valuable. So time, from my point of view, is more valuable than money. Well, it is because money you can always get back. Time you can't. Exactly. So, so if you have a strategy that's focused around balance and, and doing things so you've just got time to do the things you really, really like and have conversations with, your mates or your family or watch your kids growing up and spending time going to sports days. <clears throat> That's the time and that value of time you want to be building. And it's a balance against, well, how much money is enough? Uh, how much money, you know, because you can get sucked into enough is not enough. And as a consequence, you'll start eating time. And mm. you'll have an equation that starts to be, okay, I'm accumulating more money, maybe. I might lose what I've started with because I'm suddenly more panicky about Oh, making this bigger picture number and all that's going on is the clock is ticking and time is decaying you know you've got this option with with time decay that starts to accelerate when your focus starts to become too much of a trader mindset mm. you just want and you want and you want we're actually you know you to step back a little bit and put a little bit of control there and realism there and balance there because going back to the best traders i've ever known it was about balance and it was about just, you know, enough is enough type approach rather than getting so carried away. But the ironic thing was that the enough is enough and, you know, making little bits of money day after day accumulated to them, one man in particular, making more money than I've known anybody else to make. Because mm. he just was balanced and did it step by step, little by little. And that just accumulated and the stress was minimal. The balance was great. The family were in play. And trading was kind of just this thing he kind of played with, you know, but he didn't throw himself so much into it. He did the initial research, of course, to understand what he's going to do. But once he worked that out, it was kind of like then on autopilot. Mark, that's, that's fascinating what you're saying about, you know, these traders, that one in particular you mentioned now that made such a lot of money in. And that it was ultimately, you know, about the game, I guess, and just a steady, uh, slow progress and ultimately compounded returns. But I've got a question regarding this, and I guess I come at this from the perspective that I'm a, I'm essentially a retail trader. I mean, I started my life out as a broker, decided to break away, start trading my own capital, running a sort of a trading coaching business, education business. 
providing some analysis, doing a few things. So essentially, I've got a business that is on the side that allows me to earn a risk-free income, albeit that I have to work quite hard for it, and then I trade. And the reason I do it like that is because trading for a living or trading purely to eat what you kill is a hell of a big ask psychologically, um, unless you've got a huge, huge, huge grub stake. Um, but now these guys that you've dealt with, you've, you've dealt with some very, very successful traders, as you've mentioned. What I'm wondering about these people, are, are these people who have made their fortunes from trading straight from the beginning, or, 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 or have they been managing money on behalf of other people or trading in an institution or a hedge fund or a prop firm? I mean, what, what does that look like? Are, are there people out there, just retail traders, who can come, and, come along at this game and make a hell of a lot of money? Or in your experience, do they generally have money to start with and they've made it elsewhere? So, okay, let, let's talk about the guy that stands out. And he stands out because he never took a loss. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Um, and um, because I managed this entire trading methodology, because I, I, I dug into point and figure charts that went back, God knows how long, but we used to send in the, the printouts as he was kind of work out his strategy. And I was sending like three inch thick envelopes to this destination for him to analyze now he wasn't a trader okay so trading was kind of I guess this this hobby on the side he was he was involved in, in property but you know I, I think he was quite protective about that and you know had, had clearly clearly some money but it wasn't an enormous amount of money but he just wanted to get involved in trading in a way where um, the risk was really really small so it was manageable but I can share with you his vision of the market. Now, he didn't have any screens at home or anything, okay? Didn't have, he, he just looked at all of this, this noise that I'd sent him. Um, and it was equity trading, mm. although it did advance into interest rate trading and fixed income trading with very similar principles. But what he did was really, really different because he looked at the market as a vibration. Okay, he looked at the market as having a vibration which, which in a, in a macro sense, there were times when it had a natural direction. And we're talking sort of really, really long-term direction. Mm. Um, and he would pick up on the sort of the, the real macro trend. But it wasn't so much a trading trend. It was almost, almost a a philosophical trend of the market because it was really, really long-term. Um, it was one that you couldn't really draw a trend line on, but you could understand from the bias as to the way trading was going in these particular products that they had a natural sort of direction. And he would give me these instructions and we sort of co-created this, 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 this trading formula, which actually, you know, with me, me with my broker hat on at the time, being a quasi trader, and you you know what that kind of means is that we started to put some protection in, and you know use some of the 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 gains for a buying, put put premium for some protection if things edged a bit more against him than than he expected. So he never took a loss on anything. <laughs> in, in certainly the decade that I traded for him, never took a loss. Uh, and he wasn't a trader, and he was doing it with no screens. 
But all it done is looked at the market and worked out that there was a natural vibration to the market. There was a, a risk size that that he could afford, okay, and he could sleep on. I think that's one of your phrases, isn't it? You, mm. you, uh, you, you, you set your risk level to, to a level that you can go to sleep on at night. Yeah. And he, he had all that sorted out. So he looks at almost as, a, as this sort of, I guess this this project. He didn't look at it as that I'm going to create this trading beast. He just looked at the market through a very very different lens. That was so refreshing because I was trading with hedge funds and asset managers and people that were running you know ten billion portfolios, and he was taking them all to the cleaners. <laughs> there was nobody near him. Nobody. Well, nobody I've known in nearly 40 years of the market, and I've traded with some of the biggest people on the planet, nobody has been near what he did from 84 to 94, because that's all I was aware of. I suspect I suspect it's carried on ever since. <laughs> um, uh, because at the time, I think the, the, the business I worked for switched supporting um, retail traders at the time and only supported um, institutional traders, which is why there was, um, you know, the relationship, I guess, just had to move on. But I'll say to this day, smartest bloke ever known. And if you had to craft the personality, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know he was trading the market and making so much money. And it almost was like a joke. It's almost like you turned up and, you know, made another XXXXXX amount, you know, yesterday and printed the same today. And, you know, we've gone back to making money. And I think it just shows that, you know, with, I go back to mindset, with the right mindset, but with the right curiosity to dig into the market and really understand its personality. And that's what he was doing. He was kind of understanding the market's personality. And it had nothing to do with technical analysis. Yeah. It had nothing to do with fundamental analysis. It, at a stretch, was about really, really long-term macro, but a real stretch i'm saying that but it just goes to show you know for people out there essentially he was what we'd call now a retail trader mm. i'm just I, i'm smiling here mark because your story is is quite similar to a story i had when i was a retail broker i had a client who made a hell of a lot of money he was our most successful client by a country mile yeah. And and but he was also a property developer, <laughs> and also had no screens. He also watched the market from afar. You know, often it would be a case of, you know, he had phoned me from the golf course uh, just to check on what the market was doing, and he wasn't even... he wasn't really close to it. But he just had the knack for seeing the bigger picture and riding it. I don't think mine even watched the market. <laughs> <laughs> It was so it was so bizarre. And everyone's out there, I'm sorry, in trading land thinking, what the heck is this possible? Yeah, it's absolutely possible. You know, there's a level of smartness that is out there that is possible if you do the work. Yeah, no, for sure. But now to, to that, and this is I'm going to change direction slightly here, but we, we've had an enormous bull market now in equities, right? And in bonds, I suppose. It's all come pretty much to an end, it seems, in the last six months or six to 12 months. And we're now sitting in, in a situation where we're going to watch the Fed this evening when we finish recording this to see what the direction of interest rates is looking like and what they're going to do to quantitative tightening, et cetera. 
Um, but in, in any case, it seems like the backdrop has changed pretty dramatically in the last six months, and we're now staring down a bear, uh, the barrel of a bear market. There are a lot of retail traders and investors out there who have have looked very clever in the last, say, between you know, after COVID particularly, but even before that, but I think especially since the COVID lows, where the market just went straight up in a, in a straight line. Lots of youngsters, lots of people who've never seen a bear market, don't even know what it is, made a lot of money. But I, I get the sense that those now are, you know, it's, it's following the same the same old pattern as always happens in market cycles where you get euphoria and euphoria comes just before the fall. And I, I won't be surprised if we start reading about some of these retail traders who've, you know, who were doing so well, who've now been absolutely carried out on leverage and things with these tech stocks that have fallen through the floor. But it's it's amazing the psychology that drives these market cycles and how this the market behavior repeats itself over and over and over. They say history doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes. And in the market, that's very, very true. I mean, you know, I, I've been in the market for 20 odd year, just over 20 years now. So I guess I've seen a couple of bull markets and two, maybe three bear markets in that time. But from a psychology perspective, I mean, let's just flesh this out. Yeah, you know, what these peaks and troughs, these euphoria followed by what ultimately becomes capitulation and desperation, these patterns never change, do they? No, I think the sort of the random walk sort of nature of markets. Um, but, but also I think it goes deeper now. I, I did a lot of work around Fibonacci and uh, Elliott Wave and uh, and looking at um, lunar cycles and all sorts of stuff when I I was a very, very creative broker, put it like mm. that. Mm. And, um, yeah, you start to it's, – it's kind of like, well, it's going down, so what? You know, it's kind of like, okay, well, people, some people are losing money, but, you know, but – you kind of have to understand these products as sort of a personality. If, if you look back um, on a, on a if you just go to Google and do like DJIA on, on a Dow Jones chart, mm. you'll, you'll see the market start off at what appears to be almost zero, right? On Dow mm. Jones, mm. right? Back in, that's, and back in 1982. So it's very fitting that that was when my career began. But if you look at it, that Dow Jones back in 1982, was trading 819. Yeah. 819 in 1982, which is still sort of, I guess, in, you know, relatively near history as such. Mm. Now, and if you look back on that long-term chart that pops up or in just looking at Google, the 1987 crash just, just looks like a little full stop. Mm. Um, so these markets have accelerated. They, they big down dip in, in the... Uh, in that long weekend where all sorts of people collapsed back in 2007, 2008 uh, and onwards, where we had a, a a pretty severe correction, much more severe correction than we're going through now. Yeah. Much more. Much I mean, more. Yeah. 50% off of the market, a whole market value, pretty much. Mm. If you just look back. Um, and what we're going through now, and people say, oh, we're in a bear market. I look at it and think, you kind of have to guess bear in mind where we've come from and that setting an expectation that if you do watch things like Elliot, you do look, look at Fibonacci retracements, you kind of have got to expect it to, to back off a third or, or even 50% or two thirds of that rally that began. Uh, when was this? That was back in 
Listen, April the 3rd, 2020, right? Yeah. Which is like yesterday. The COVID low, yeah. 24,300-ish Dow Jones, mm. right? And in two years, we've got up 10,000. Yeah. Um, is it a surprise that we're just coming, coming off the boil a little bit and going into a bit of a corrective mode? I mean, is it a bear market? I mean, people are calling bear market, but you know, I'm, I'm, and by the way, this is not a market forecast. I'm doing this is my sort of my my look at things and thinking. Yeah, that this is where experience comes in, right? Because mm. people, if people have only known the market from, you know, the COVID low, and they think that's the market, that's the trend, then they maybe think, "Whoa, this is a massive down move we're getting on at the moment," and this is, you know, what a, what an amount of money we've lost. But the things still. Not too far away from thirty-four thousand, which was sort of a big pivot area, wasn't it? Yeah, we're only a thousand off of that. So, you know, I think people got to put perspective into making a call on the market. They've got to they've got to look at the bigger picture going on. And if you're going to study short-term charts, for God's sake, know know what the thirty-year chart looks like, just so you get a context of where things are today compared to the history of the value of whatever we're talking about. And then start with the bigger picture and then just get closer and closer and closer to what you're trading. Mm. The biggest mistake people make is that they trade short term with no bloody awareness as the bigger picture of what's going on, what, what's been before. What is a, what does a proper down move look like? Mm. And what does a, well, we're just going through a bit of a correction here. Um, too early to call bear market, in my view, um, because just, just look at his, history shows you that, you know, we're nowhere near losing 50% of value. If we had the same move as we had in, back in 1987, Dow Jones would be back at about 15,000 or something. Mm, yeah. Obviously, we're a long way from that. So perspective, common sense or technical common sense almost, market savviness, become something that you kind of need to carry because sometimes you can capitulate on a position because you've just been dumb at looking at the market. Mm. Yep, that's it. Well, often the one I guess one, when one capitulates on a on a position, it's often because there was there was no stop loss, no risk management. It was just yeah, exactly. all built on on hope, and of course, hope eventually runs out. That's not a strategy that you want to be employing in the markets. No, uh, in, indeed. But all of that together, plus this perspective of where are we in time with whatever I'm trading, and look back as far as you can go, because the further you back, look back, you understand the context of the current move. Mm, mm. You think, ah, okay, this 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 looks like a fairly minor move compared to some of the stuff that's gone on, and we're making this big meal out of it, but. I mean, maybe it will eventually go go lower, but yeah, well, who am I to say? But I'm just saying that sometimes we can make a call too soon because mm. we're not willing to look at the biggest picture available um, when we make our decisions. Yeah, yeah. I guess what you're saying there, though, it all is born out of a lot of experience and many years in the market, as you say, you've you've got a, a career that spans what forty years, if yeah. we include this year. So. Um, yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of the youngsters in the market now, the Robin Hood jockeys, uh, are 
they don't have that experience and I guess they don't have the perspective and the long-term market views that, that you've got. They'll learn it over time, I guess. And I think perspective is protective. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Nice little, little randalism there. Yeah, lots of little randalisms from this podcast that I've enjoyed. <laughs> but yeah, I think perspective is protective because if you don't have perspective, you haven't got a clue where your trading sits in the universe of the trade. Yeah, yeah. And you need to know that. You need to know, oh, right, okay, well, look back, you know, well, it's not a lot, really. It's just bubbling around. And people think, oh, shit, it's come off, it's a bear money thing. I think you might be a bit early calling that. You know, maybe, maybe this is just a correction for the post-COVID low. Yeah. And we're going to get a, a third or even a two, even if we get a two-third retracement, so what? Yeah. You know, markets go up because they go down. Yeah. Can't yeah, go up all powerful, the time. A powerful market, upward market, starts off with a downward. Yes, absolutely. Mark, I'm, I'm aware of the time, and I think we've run out of or we've gone over our lot of time for this podcast because it's been so good chatting to you. Um, so the last thing I want to just ask you, I guess, is, is where can listeners follow your work? How can they follow you? And um, and if they want to get in touch, how do they do that? So the uh, the Alpha Mind podcast, which is uh, alpha-mind.net as a website, um, you'll find all of our back catalogue of some crazily high-value podcasts there, which I'm mm. Glad you've liked because we're su- we're supported by the Society of Technical Analysts, and actually, we're um, by the time of this release, we should be sponsored by TradeStation as well. Oh, brilliant! So okay. Some 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 big names like us and support us because of just what we do. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm not very active on Twitter. I mean, Stephen Goldstein seems to have this robot doing this. Um, he's he's very active he's on Alpha Mind 101 I'm on Alpha Mind in in the back street somewhere on Alpha Mind 102 but you can always contact me but um, you know I always look at Steve and I as being a bit yin and yang he doesn't like the the talk of it too much but actually together we create a whole approach um, and we cover almost like the two opposite sides of the brain through the, the independent work we do but we're bringing it together to have this very different, very powerful approach. So alpha-mind.net, you'll find us on um, say all sorts of uh, uh, podcast venues mm. um, under the Alpha Mind podcast. And if people want to reach out to me um, independently, uh, I'm mark at alpha-mind.net, or you can chuck me a message on, on, on Twitter. Excellent. Uh, I'm open for that. Super. Yeah. Excellent. And I, I can't reiterate enough to the listeners. They should listen to your podcast, to that Alpha Mind podcast, if they haven't already. It's uh, very, very good listening. I listen. I make a point of listening to all of them every month. A couple of yeah, them I've listened to more than more than once. So it's well worth, uh, well worth listening to. I think we've been hired on CNBC and people like that. So we're out there. Yeah, that's great. Well, Mark, it's really been fantastic chatting to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed every minute of this. Uh, Thank you again. And I look forward to catching up again sometime again in the future. Indeed. Super. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.